Before we get to the word today, um, I have a difficult task of sharing with you uh, some very sad news about a family in our church. And as I share this with you, I just want to warn you that this news is very tragic and hard to even comprehend. Uh, the story has been in our local news this week, but you may not have realized that the family in this story is, they were members of our church. On Tuesday this week, we were informed here that the Martinez family had tragically passed away. Uh, some of you may have known them, um, many of you may have not. The Martinez family was Jeremy Shannon, and their young daughter, Bailey. And they had been part of our church for the last two years. They were baptized here, and uh, just last year, uh, they dedicated Bailey to the Lord. And what's even more shocking than their tragic passing, and really defies all explanation, is that Jeremy, the husband and father, is the one who is responsible for their deaths. And upon hearing news like this, immediately our minds begin to search for answers, trying to figure out what could have caused someone to do something like this especially when it hits so close to home. You know, we read about stuff like this happening and we tend to think that it could never happen to anybody that we know or anybody certainly that would be part of our own church. But in searching for reasons and explanations and motivations, the truth is that there is no explanation that would be good enough. What was done is unimaginable and inexplicable. We know that Satan is real and that he is working and that he is out to seek, to kill, and to destroy. And if we are not vigilant against his lies... the work that he can do in our life is unimaginable. But the word of God says that Jesus came to give us life and abundant life. I'm sharing this news with you because they were part of our church family. Whether you knew them or not, Personally, they were part of our family, our, our community of faith. Shannon and Bailey were both precious souls who truly loved the Lord. And those that knew them here can attest to that and have attested to that over and over this past week, just how genuine they were in their faith in Jesus. And the great hope that we have as Christians is that they are now together with Christ in his presence. The Bible tells us for those who are in Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the Apostle Paul tells us at the end of Romans chapter 8 that nothing not even death itself can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., there'll be a viewing for Shannon and Bailey, followed by a joint memorial service at 1 p.m. This is tomorrow. The location for the services 
And the viewing is Hurley Funeral Home in Pleasanton, Texas. Again, that's tomorrow at 11 a.m. for the viewing, 1 p.m. for the service, and then there'll be a burial to follow at the Hurley, Hurley Funeral Home of Pleasanton, Texas. Now, as followers of Christ, we are instructed to... to weep with those who weep. And that when one member suffers, we all suffer. And so I would encourage you, whether you knew them or not, if you are able, and I know it's short notice, and I know it's in the middle of a work day, and I know it can be difficult because it's 45 minutes away, but if you are able, I would encourage you to attend the service as it will be a great comfort to a family that is hurting right now. In times like this, words are inadequate. There are not words. But there is a ministry of presence that simply by being with someone in times like this, God can use that presence to bring comfort in times of hardship. So this morning, I thought it'd be appropriate to lift up this, these families. It's two families. It's the Martinez family which was Jeremy's family, and then the Reed family, Shannon's parents. I thought it would be appropriate to lift them up in prayer and ask God to comfort their hearts. Would you join me this morning? Father, we look to you in all times, and especially at times like these. Lord, times when, Lord, our understanding, our, our, our ability to comprehend utterly fails us. Lord, these uh, events are so disheartening. They're so tragic. Lord, they, they cut against the grain of everything that we know and everything that we believe. And when those things happen, Lord, it, it seems at times uh, our hearts are just so broken. But your word teaches us that you are the God of all comfort. That you are not the God of some comfort. That you are not the God that can comfort. But that you are the God of all comfort. And so Lord, as a church today, we lift up these two families that are broken hearted. These two families that have suffered a great loss. We lift to you the Martinez family and we ask for you by your spirit and by your presence that you would comfort their hearts, that you would heal their hearts, bring uh, healing to their souls. Lord, for Shannon's family, the Reed family, we lift up her parents, Lord, that you would help them, Lord, to, to the next few days that are going to be very difficult and very trying, Lord, that your presence would just surround them and that they would feel, Lord, the, the love uh, that you have for them and that you would comfort them in their time of need. And Lord, as they continue to uh, work through and, and walk through uh, this tragedy that has happened, Lord, we pray that you would do what only you can do that you would birth in their hearts hope and hope for the future. Lord, that you would somehow, in some way, work what the enemy has meant for good, that you would, what the enemy meant for evil, Lord, that you will work it for good. And these are the promises that we hold on to as believers. We ask for you to comfort their hearts today. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to open with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to take a few week break from our series in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, next week, of course, we'll look at uh, the, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem as next week is Palm Sunday and it, it kicks off the Holy Week. So we'll look at his entry into Jerusalem on his way to the cross. We'll look at that next Sunday. And then, of course, uh, the following Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we will celebrate the greatest event in the history of mankind, the resurrection of Jesus. But this morning, I, I thought it would be appropriate to take a minute and just reflect on some truths that in, in times like this that we as Christians hold on to. You may be sitting here today and, and you may have not known this family that passed away. But the truth is that all of us in this life will pass away one day. That's the reality. We all will pass through that door. And before we do, likewise, we will lay others to rest. Friends, family, loved ones. And what do we do in times like this? Where does our heart go? What, what can we anchor ourselves in? And the good news is that God, our Father, has not left us to hopeless despair in times like this. And again, th this may not touch you really personally, but we will all be touched by death. We have been and we will be. And God in his word has given us a hope that the Bible calls an anchor for our souls in moments and times like these. And so today I want to share with you just this glorious hope that we do have as believers in Jesus Christ. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to work our way through several verses this morning. I want to start with verse... 13. These are the words of God. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep or passed away that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. From this passage here, and we'll look at a few more verses in a moment, there's really three things that I want to share with us this morning. Three things that will help us to anchor our souls. We live in a fallen world. In a fallen world, we go through events that we don't understand, that defy comprehension, that oftentimes come upon us suddenly and weren't what we were expecting. And in times like these, it's a passage like this that we look to. Three things I want to share with you this morning. The first is that we should mourn for those 
who have died. We should mourn in times of grief and in times of sorrow. This is what this passage says. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have passed away, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. The assumption here is that we will grieve, that we will have sorrow, that we will uh, mourn those who have passed on. And sometimes we think that as Christians, that if we do grieve, if we do mourn, that we are somehow showing that we have a lack of faith. And that we're so, somehow just supposed to put on, you know, a strong face and, and not let the emotions and not let the feelings and not let the sorrow into our hearts because that might be somehow showing a lack of faith in God. And what this passage here is saying is that know that as Christians we do grieve. We do grieve. We see many examples of this in the Bible where very godly people grieved when others passed away. You'll recall in Acts chapter 8, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, after he passed away in Acts chapter 8, verse 2, it says that some of the brothers of the church, devout men, they buried him. And at that time, they made a great lamentation over him. that They just didn't put him in the ground and say, well, you know, one day it's all going to be okay and let's just forget about it and let's just go on with life. No. Not only did they mourn him, not only were they sorrowful, it says that they made a great lamentation over him. That what happened to Stephen was unimaginable. How, how could this happen? Someone so young, someone so full of promise, someone so used by God. They, they didn't shy away from, from asking those difficult questions. They didn't shy away from, from shedding the tears and, and entering into the pain. In Genesis, the, the book of beginnings when the patriarchs died, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we see that they were mourned by their families. The Bible tells us that when Jacob died, that Joseph, his son, threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. And that for 70 days, there was a period of mourning in that community. Jacob and Joseph were very godly people. They were people of faith. They, they trusted in God. They weren't demonstrating a lack of faith by expressing the hurt and the pain and the sorrow that comes in times of death. And we even see our Lord weeping at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. If ever there was anyone who didn't need to weep for someone passing away, it would have been Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. As just a few moments later, Jesus demonstrated his power over death itself when he called Lazarus out of the grave. But Jesus is touched by our feelings. It says that Jesus wept when he saw the hurt and the pain and the weeping of Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, and the family that was so brokenhearted over his death. When he saw them, he was moved. And if Jesus himself is moved in times of grief and of sorrow, how in the world could we say that we should not mourn for those who have passed away? The loss of loved ones and family members and friends and those who are close with us, it brings with it a period of grief and sorrow. 
And this is a natural thing, and it should not be ignored or run away from. It is not good to pretend like everything is okay when everything's not okay. And if we as Christians are really good at anything that's really not good, it's doing that. We're good at that. It's because we've developed these ideas, these theologies, these doctrines of Well, if we show any kind of sorrow, if we show any kind of grief, it shows that we don't have faith, that we don't have hope. That's just simply not, it's not, that's not in alignment with the example we see in the Word of God. We see that when people pass on, that it does cause grief and sorrow and that those feelings are natural and that they should not be ignored, they should not be swept under the rug. That is an unhealthy way of dealing with grief. This is why the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep. That's what the church is supposed to be. The church is not the place that you come and pretend like your life is all together when really it's falling apart. That's not the church. The church is supposed to be not this pristine scientific laboratory. The church is supposed to be a hospital. It's where the sick get well. It's not where the sick come and we say, oh, everything's fine. You're doing great. See you later. No. For there to be healing, there must be truth. There can be no healing without truth, without facing the reality. That's the way the world deals with their problems, to try to cover the pain, mask the pain, with all kinds of diversion, with all kinds of self-medication. And so you see people turn to all manner of things in times of grief and sorrow that would would take the edge off to, to try and dull the sting of death. We as Christians, that's not how we deal with it. When we experience pain, when we experience sorrow, when we experience loss and grief, and we will, we don't turn to the bottle. We don't go out and get drunk. We don't find ourselves being addicted to pain medication. We don't find ourselves turning to substance and abusing substance. We should, in fact, turn to the community of faith. The Bible says that if we will confess to one another and pray for one another, that we will be healed. But it it starts with being truthful. It it starts with being honest. It, It starts with being able to say, I'm not okay. I'm struggling. I'm Suffering, I, I feel like I am grasping at straws. If that's you here today, let me tell you, you are in the right place. And so, you do not, we, we should not run from God. We should not run away from God. We should not run away from the people of God. In fact, the Bible says that he who isolates himself wars against his own soul. Instead, we should turn and, and, and confide and confess and, and share with one another. The Bible says that we should, as a church, a church should bear one another's burdens. To bear one another's burdens. 
So not only does it start with us being truthful and with us being honest, that immediately needs to be followed up with people whose hearts have been transformed by the love of Jesus so that we will bear one another's burdens. You see, if, if, we're, if our hearts are not filled with the love of Christ, if we're only interested in our own lives and our own self and very narrowly focused and inward focused, we, we will not be willing to bear one another's burdens. But just as Jesus on the cross bore our burden of sin and shame, having that burden of sin and shame lifted off of our shoulders and filled with now his spirit, he calls his followers to likewise carry the burdens of others, to lighten the load of others. You say, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I, I, I'm at a loss. I, I don't know. Can you pray? Can you pray? Prayer is a powerful tool in lightening burdens. Just letting people know, I am praying for you. I am standing with you. I am beside you, and I'm lifting you up in prayer. That is a great way to carry someone's burdens. We can all pray. Amen? Well, whatever, whatever you've got, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're smart or you ain't, we can all pray. That's a ministry that is open to anyone, everyone. Positions open for the prayer ministry. You, you, you're looking for God to use you in ministry. Have you considered prayer? Have you considered interceding? Have you considered lifting others up, standing in the gap? Prayer. So vital, so important. Belittled in the world. Belittled in the world. The world doesn't think much of prayer because the world doesn't believe in a God who can move and, and who can heal and who can deliver and who can save. But the, the power of prayer is not found in the individual who's offering the prayers. The power of prayer is found in the God who answers prayer. So whatever your weaknesses are, whatever your hang-ups are, whatever your faults are, and if you're like me, they are many, the power of prayer doesn't rest on your shoulders, but on his shoulders. And so in that, we can be confident. And in that, we can bear one another's burdens. Let me just say something here in a in a practical way of meddling. From time to time, our deacons and elders will call on the members of the church. And that's something that we can, I'm sure, do better at. But from time to time, if you receive a call from an elder or a deacon and they ask you, what can we be praying about? That's your time to tell them. <laughs> Most of the time, everybody just says, oh, we're doing good, brother. I don't know. It, I, it, maybe all of your lives are just so put together. You just have it all buttoned up. Maybe it's me that should be sitting out here, and you all get up here and tell me how to do it, because... My prayer list grows by the week of things I'm believing God for, things that I'm praying for. That's your time to say, pray, pray with us on this. This is, what we, this is where we have a need. This is where we're struggling. This is where we need help. This is where we need God to move. That's just a meddling session over. Okay, meddling session over. So number one, as believers, when, when those we know in our family, those who are close to us, our friends, our loved ones, when they pass away, we should mourn. 
We should not run from those feelings of grief, but we should let them play out in our hearts. But number two, this verse, verse 13, let's look at it again. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are, have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. So yes, we should mourn for those who have died, but we should mourn. Number two, we should mourn as those who have hope. We should not mourn as those who have no hope, but we should in fact mourn, and when we do mourn, we should mourn as those who do have hope. Our mourning is not a morning of desperation. Our morning is not one of hopelessness and despair. Our morning is not the same as the unbeliever who has no hope. As those who have no faith in Christ do not have anything to hope in. For outside of Christ, death truly is the end of life leaving for the unbeliever nothing but despair and hopelessness. But we as Christians have a hope. Have a hope. And what is our hope as Christians? What is our hope as believers? Our hope is in Christ and in his death and resurrection. That is our hope. Verse 14, as he goes on to explain the hope that we have in Christians, he says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many of you, that's your testimony? That's what I believe. That you believe that Jesus died and rose again. If you believe that, then you have a hope. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, passed away. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Paul is saying that this is as sure as anything you've ever heard in your life, what he's about to say. This is as sure as the ground you stand on. This is as sure as the air you breathe. This is as sure as the sun rising tomorrow. This he declares to us as a word coming from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus Christ is returning one day. He is coming back. Amen? And when he does, the Apostle Paul says that when Christ returns, that the dead in Christ, those who have died in faith, that they will rise on that day. And that their resurrection is based 
in the resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago in a tomb outside of Jerusalem, that because Christ rose from the dead, those who are in Christ will likewise rise one day from the dead. That just as he experienced a glorious resurrection and received a new body, so those who are in him will likewise receive a resurrection like his and a new body like his. A body that will not experience decay. A body that will not experience death again. A body that will not age. Can I get an amen on that one? Thank you, Jesus. And on that day when, when the dead in Christ are raised and, and those who are alive will, will, will be transformed in a moment and, and we will all meet the Lord in the air. And we will enter into eternity, the eternal state. And there's not a lot in the Bible that, that, that tells us about what that's going to be. And, and my kids have asked me, and I asked my parents too, what are we going to do for all of eternity? That's a long time. And it, 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 it doesn't tell us what we're going to do the entire time. It gives us some pictures. It tells us a little bit about what it's going to be like. It's a place where there's no more sickness. No more disease. No more cancer. No more death. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more tears. It says that in that place, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. This is our hope. This is our hope. Our hope is not found in, the, in this world that is passing away. And we can see death and decay all over our world, can't we? This world is passing away. This order is passing away. But when Christ comes, this old world that is passing away will be done away with and a new creation will be brought in. Our hope is not found in this world and in this life. Our hope is found in the empty tomb outside the walls of Jerusalem. The Bible says that knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus, he will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's the other thing that we know about the eternal state is that we will be in the presence of God for all eternity. We will gather and we will worship around his throne. We will celebrate his victory. There's going to be food there. the best wedding banquet you've ever seen, the best food you've ever tasted. First Corinthians 6, 14 says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. First Corinthians 15, 23, but each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to him. Jesus said this in John chapter 6. He says, this is the will of my father who sent me. That I shall lose none of those 
he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. Our hope is in Christ's death and resurrection. And because he rose, we will rise. Because he lives, we will live. Because he has saved us, he will raise us. So for the believer, death is not the end. It is not the end. That there is eternal life. There is life beyond this life. And so how do we as believers handle events like these? We, we mourn. We grieve. We weep with those who weep. When one suffers, we all suffer but we mourn and grieve in hope. In the hope of the death and resurrection of Christ and in the hope of his glorious return and our being gathered to him. That is our hope. As we conclude this morning, I have to mention that the Bible tells us that none of us, not a single one of us, is promised tomorrow. Life is short. The Bible says that life is like a mist. It's like a vapor. It's here today, and just like that, it goes by. And for whatever reason, it seems like the older you get, the faster that time goes. I don't understand that. I think it should be the opposite. Last night, I was watching a video of, I was going through some photos, and I, I stumbled across a video. And it was a, a video of, of someone's 60th birthday party. And I was watching this video. I was like, wow, 60, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I remember that. I remember when they turned 60. And all of a sudden, this realization went off in my mind that was unsettling. And that was that more time has passed between when that video was shot and today than from today and the day that I'm going to turn 60. <laughs> and it seems like that time went by really fast. And it seems like time is going faster now. And all of a sudden, I was sitting there last night planning my 60th birthday party. <laughs> Thinking, maybe, man, I'll be able to be on the, the VIP Blue Bonnet bus tour be, before you know it. Not, not that I'm saying that life is over at 60 or anything like that. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, that it, it really dawned on me that life is so short, that life goes by so quickly. We think that we have a long time to live. And I can tell you as someone in their 40s, and as I can attest for many of our older saints, older than me, and I just mean older than me, that it doesn't matter if you've lived 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, or 100 years, 
it still seems like yesterday we were, I was in my 15s. I was, it just seems like yesterday. That no matter how much time we do have, our time in the light of eternity is short. Life is short. And one day we will all face the inescapable reality of death. It is part of living in this fallen world. And we do not know the day or the time. Likewise, we don't know the day or the time of the Lord's return. But what we do know is that life is short. What we do know is that many, many, many people thought that they would see tomorrow that never did. That's why the Bible says that today, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We must put our faith in Christ today. The reason that we can have a hope for the resurrection is because on the cross, Jesus took our sin. He bore our shame. Sin that the Bible calls lawlessness, breaking of God's commandments, breaking of God's law, which the Bible declares that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Jesus on the cross had our sin laid upon him so that those of us who are in Christ could have his righteousness laid upon us. And the great promise that God makes to humanity, the good news of the gospel, is that all who would repent of their sins, that is, turn from their sins and turn to Christ and his work in faith, that we will receive by grace salvation, the forgiveness of sins, being made righteous, being declared right before God. And it is because of his work of cleansing, his work of salvation, his work that we trust in, his death and resurrection, that we can have a confidence that when that day comes, whether it's through death or whether it's through his return, that we will be with him. It is through our faith in his work that we can have that confidence. If you do not have faith in Christ today, you have no confidence. You are on the most unbelievably of shaky grounds. For the believer, we stand on a sure and solid foundation. I spoke about it earlier today, but for the unbeliever, there is no foundation. For the unbeliever, there, there, there is a void that is waiting to swallow you whereby you will pay the penalty for your own sin. And as a minister of the gospel, it is my duty to tell you, put your faith in Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn to him and receive the free gift of salvation and the promise of the resurrection. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me today. Uh, the ushers are going to come and prepare to serve us this morning. The Lord's Supper. We're instructed in Scripture that when we gather, we should remember and reflect upon the death of our Savior and remind ourselves that he died 
to pay the price for our sin. And to remind ourselves that because he died for our sins, that our sins are forgiven. That we are cleansed. That we are a new creation as he rose from the grave. And that as we partake this morning of the bread, which represents his broken body, of the the juice, which represents his shed blood, we remind ourselves of the great price that was paid to redeem us. And this remembrance of him and the great price that was paid, it causes us to live with gratitude. It causes us to to want to glorify our Savior in our lives. It, It causes us to repent and turn from sin. It causes us to to want to share the good news of, of the gospel of Jesus with those that we know and those that we love. It causes us to, to not live for this life only, but to, to keep our eyes fixed on Christ and to live in light of his return. So this morning, if you are not a Christian today, if you're not a Believer today, again, I implore you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is the time, this is the moment. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And for those of us who are in faith, though we are not perfect, though we fall short, though our sins are many, Christ beckons us to come to the table. He welcomes us and He he calls us to to examine ourselves and to repent again of sin and to trust upon him and his saving work and to walk in renewed fellowship with him today. And so as we come to the table this morning, we reflect, we examine, we, we ask the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to reveal any area of our lives that, is, that is, has sin and that we would repent and that we would partake and that we would walk in newness of life. And so as the ushers direct you this morning, the table is open. God's grace is here today. His grace that covers a multitude of sins. Father, we thank you for the work of your son, Jesus. A work, Lord, that we could not do, but that we gladly receive. Lord, as we partake this morning, we partake in faith in the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. We partake in faith that our sins are forgiven. We partake in faith that we are washed clean. We partake in faith of that day when you will return and we all will be raised incorruptible. In Christ's name we pray, amen.